this morning and uh, just want to start off with a few announcements as we get started. Um, one being tonight um, at six o'clock, we're having a student back to school um, end of summer celebration at the Aubrey home. So Pastor Neil's house, or as we like to call it, Bennett's house. Um, so if you are a student, uh, 6th to 12th grade, and you are interested in coming and being a part of that, we're going to have food, um, wiffle ball, and inflatable water slides. So we've got a little bit of everything um, at Pastor Neil's house. So if you're interested in that, you can see me. There's also a sheet in the back um, that has that information on it and the address for that. Um, if you need a ride, let me know, and we can try to uh, accommodate you in that way. But we'd love for you to be a part of that and uh, come and celebrate the end of summer, beginning of school um, with us, on, and that's tonight at 6 o'clock in Carrollton. So if you have any questions, please see me. And, uh, but after that, we kind of get back into our normal schedule. So uh, just so you all know, um, our, our regular scheduled stuff will kind of start back on a normal basis starting this Wednesday. Okay, so if you have any questions about the schedule that we have for um, kids or students, you can see me. Uh, we'll have things on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights um, on a pretty normal basis. So um, good to be back in our normal rhythm and schedule of things uh, starting on Wednesday. Um, we are going to have a special kids um, kickoff on August the 10th, which is a week from this Wednesday. So our kids are going to come to church as usual, but we're going to have some special stuff for them um, to kind of give them a, a kickoff celebration as well. Um, if you have any questions about that, once again, you can see me and uh, we will talk through those. But we're going to have some, uh, some food and some fun games for them to play as they get to celebrate going back to school and starting off their normal uh, schedule of things as well. That's August 10th. And then um, we are beginning a young adult fellowship um, that's going to meet monthly. And so um, the next thing on the schedule for that is Friday, August 12th at Central Hatchie Park. There's going to be a, a fellowship for, for, those, uh, for those young adults. Um, we have it as age 18 to 30. And then starting in um, the next month, they're going to start a, a, a study through the book, uh, The Pursuit of Holiness. So... If you'd like to be a part of that, if you have any questions about that, um, see myself or Sarah Beth, and uh, we can get you plugged in there. And then finally, to round out all the announcements, um, soccer is, is quickly approaching. As many of you know, we have a soccer league every year um, for ages three through um, middle school, and uh, we always need two big things, players, obviously, and also coaches or assistants. Um, so if you have any interest in um, helping coach soccer or assist a coach or referee or any of those things, um, you can see me or Neil, um, and uh, we will get you plugged in somewhere. But that's always a great ministry and a great outreach. We have a lot of students from around um, our, our area, from Central Hatchie Elementary School, who come and play. Um, and so that's a great opportunity to serve uh, our community. So as we begin uh, worship this morning, I'm going to ask uh, Deacon Giles Roberts to come forward, and he's going to read our call to worship and pray for us this morning. Morning. All right, I'm going to be reading from John 11, 17 through 27. 
So now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained, remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Uh, Father God, I just want to thank you. I want to... Uh, praise you for allowing us to come together and just praise you and worship you, Father. Um, be with all the needs and the wants, Father, of this community, uh, with all the prayer requests that are needed, Father. Uh, be with Neil as he brings a message and bring with and be with the, the music, Father, and just lead our hearts, Father, to glorify you and praise you. I pray these things in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin worship this morning with singing something beautiful. to take communion at the end of service and so we're going to sing hallelujah what a savior
this time, Stephanie's going to come sing a special for us this morning. sing it um and she had texted me sunday and she's like i'd love to sing a special sometime and miss k was supposed to sing this morning and she couldn't um but this is my one of my favorite songs and it's actually a song that we played um in my wedding but it's really good to kind of set our hearts toward communion but then also as we get ready for school to start back this week as well Great. 
so much, Stephanie, as our children depart for Children's Church. Let's turn to Luke chapter 20, God's faithfulness. Stephanie, you can redo that and restart that anytime you want. Did she say nerves? I did not detect a single nerve, okay? What a gift. What a message, the faithfulness of God. It's good to hear that again. You could put that on repeat daily and never tire of remembering God's faithfulness. So this morning, Luke chapter 20, beginning with verse 27. And yes, as you've already heard, it will culminate in communion and the Lord's Supper. So I will draw a connection to that um, at the end of the message. But this morning we want to see that God is the God of the living. He is the God of the living. Last week, we remembered that there are basically two certainties in life, death and taxes. (laughs) You'll have to get last week's message to know where that came from. But this morning, in contrast to death and taxes, we have another Certainty, and that is life and freedom. What a contrast to death and taxes. Life and freedom. So let's pick up in verse 27 through the end of the chapter. Luke's telling us that the opponents of Jesus continue to come at him with wave after wave of opposition. Questions, debates. Here's another one. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees who 
say that there is no resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Ha ha, right? You, if you've heard me preach, you've heard me say that before. But what a dangerous, incorrect, and, and even foolish doctrine. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So that's driving this whole sermon, okay? It's driving this whole passage, their faulty belief system, their sad belief system. So they questioned Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, they're quoting the Old Testament from the book of Deuteronomy, if a man's brother dies having a wife and he's childless, his brother should take the wife and raise up offspring to his brother. Then they come up with this ridiculous, absurd scenario. To try to trap Jesus and maybe see him squirm a little as they try to refute the doctrine of the resurrection. Verse 29, there were seven brothers and the first took a wife and then died childless. And the second and the third and in the same way, all seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, quote, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For neither can they die anymore. For they are like angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush. So Jesus is quoting scripture as well, considering Moses and the burning bush in the book of Exodus. And Jesus says, where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. I will repeat, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, all live to him. Well, some of the scribes answered and said, teacher, you've spoken well. They believed in the resurrection. They're thinking Jesus is on our side. Verse 40, for they did not have courage to question him any longer about anything. Then Jesus said to them, same situation, same scene. Jesus said to them, how is it that they say the Christ is David's son? How is the Christ David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Jesus is quoting there Psalm 110. Where basically the Father says to the Son, sit at my right hand. And in verse 44, David therefore calls him Lord. How is he his son? How can the Messiah be both David's Lord and David's son? So Jesus just leaves that there for both the scribes and the Sadducees and everybody listening. Because in verse 45 it says, while all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, beware of the scribes. Well, wait a second. Didn't they just say, Jesus, you spoke well? Yeah, but that's not enough. Beware of the scribes, Jesus says. They like to walk around in long robes. And they love respectful greetings in the marketplaces. They love the chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. But they devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now may we offer to the Lord a short prayer. Okay? Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your Spirit's work in us. Both humble us and lift us up by the truth of the resurrection. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, this message is about the resurrection. And the fact that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Now I've told you before, do not accept friend requests from dead people. (laughs) On social media, that is a bad habit. Imagine the doctrine of the Sadducees and the fact that they did not believe in life after death. They did not believe in immortality. They did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in the afterlife. That's one of the core doctrines, not only of Christianity per se, but the whole Bible. And as Martin Luther said, God has written the doctrine of the resurrection into everything including every leaf of springtime. So Paul said, if Christ be not risen, then we are of all men most miserable, and we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. In other words, if this is all that there is, then what's the point? So we're dealing here with a serious and dangerous issue on whether or not there is such a thing as a doctrine of the resurrection. I think it would help for us to understand that the Sadducees were a specific type of people, and it may help us understand why they did not want to think about either their mortality or the doctrine of immortality. So let me borrow for just a moment from one of the commentators I read this week. The Sadducees were very wealthy. 
They were very few, but they were very wealthy. The priests and the aristocrats were nearly all Sadducees. They were the governing class. They were largely collaborationists or collaborating with Rome. And listen to this. They were unwilling to risk losing their wealth, their comfort, and their place. So they loved to maintain the status quo. Well, why would somebody who had it so good in this life have an idea that there would not be an afterlife? I mean, if you're living your best life now, if things are great for you now, and you're in power, and you've got comfort, and you've got wealth, who needs heaven, right? I mean, it's here and now for many people. So let's not think about death and let's certainly not think about the afterlife because in the afterlife, all of us stand before God on equal ground. Or as someone saying when I was growing up, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. That type of thinking... But listen to this, if immortality be untrue, it matters little whether anything else is true or not. Now I can't press that much further because this is not Easter Sunday, but almost every year on Easter Sunday we work through the importance of the doctrine of the resurrection and how that infuses life with meaning and significance and offers for us the only plan of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what I want to do with the time we have left in working up to communion, I want us to think about the doctrine of the resurrection based on this conversation with the Sadducees. And I want to say three things. Number one, The promise of the resurrection is seen in creation. The power of the resurrection is seen in Christ. And the practice of the resurrection is seen in the church. So let's talk about creation for a moment. And I only bring up creation because the Sadducees have brought up creation whether they recognize it or not. They bring up marriage. Where does marriage come from? Why in the world do we have marriage? And lo and behold, in the last couple of years, we've had several marriages here at Glenlock. What wonderful moments. But if you go all the way back to creation and you doubt the doctrine of the resurrection, then you've got some serious work to do in figuring life out. Because where does life come from? The Bible tells us that God breathed into existence this universe out of nothing. And if you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you'll see that the doctrine of the resurrection has actually already happened. God has already created life where there was no life. So if we believe in a God 
who can create the universe, then why would we not also believe that this same God can raise the dead? If God can breathe into existence all that is and all that we see, then raising someone from the dead and the afterlife, pardon the phrase, is light work for God. Marriage. God creates Adam. And then he takes out of Adam a rib and brings it back to Adam as a wife. That in itself tells us that God has the power to create and move and work in a way that brings something new and beautiful and culminating into the, into the heart of the story. And then after he gives to Adam a wife, there's something that happens. There's the fall. But after the fall, God makes a promise in Genesis 3.15 to crush the head of the enemy, to crush the head of Satan. God promises life in response to sin and death. And so at the end of Genesis, in the end of that creation story, Adam names his wife Eve, and what does her name mean? Her name means life, for from her seed will come a Savior who will crush the head of the enemy and undo everything that the enemy had caused, chiefly death. Chiefly death. I'm only bringing this up because the Sadducees, when they talk about marriage, who created marriage? God did. Why did he create marriage? For our happiness? For our holiness? Because it's not good for man to be alone? And on and on and on. My point is that in the creation story, you have much evidence and much, much material that shows us the doctrine of the resurrection is there, and it was there from the beginning. God is the creator, he's the author, he's the sustainer, he's the renewer, he is the giver of life where there was no life. You see it in Adam and Eve, you see it from the very beginning, and you see it all the way down to the gospel story, for example, in what Abraham and Sarah believed. Romans 4.17, God made a promise to Abraham, and God is saying, I've created life out of nothing. I can do it in your wife's womb, no matter how old she is. The Bible says Abraham believed God, but he believed something special about God, something significant about God. Romans 4.17, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him whom he believed. Even God, here it is. You haven't been listening, but now you're going to listen. Here it is. He gives life to the dead and he calls into being that which does not exist. He gives life to the dead and he calls into being that which does not exist. And that was in reference to the miracle of birth inside of Abraham's wife Sarah 
whom physically was beyond the capacity to give birth. God worked a miracle. So Blaise Pascal says this, why are people saying that we cannot be raised from the dead? What is more difficult, to be born or to rise again? Think through that. What is more difficult, to be born the first time or to be raised from the dead the second time? Is it more difficult to come into existence than to return to existence? Habit makes the one appear easy. One of habit makes the other seem impossible. Here's my point. If God is powerful enough to give us birth, he's also powerful enough to give us rebirth and eternal life. Yet alienated from God, who is life, we die. But connected and united vitally to God, we live and shall never die. The promise of the resurrection is seen in creation. Number two, the power of the resurrection is seen in Christ. The power of the resurrection is seen in Christ. Now, they bring up a very interesting scenario, and it is absolutely ridiculous, but I guess possible. You notice in Jesus' answer that he comes straight from Scripture. Mark's gospel tells us that as part of his reply, he said to these Sadducees, two things you don't understand. You don't understand the Scriptures, and you don't understand the power of God. And so he talks about this concept that actually Moses spoke of the resurrection at the burning bush when God says, He is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is speaking in the present and he is speaking of their living personalities. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are still alive because God is still the great I am and he is still alive. Then he moves on. Now, where I want to go with this is why in the world does he bring up Psalm 110 in verses 41 through 44? Why does he talk about this whole concept of how can David's son, the Christ, also be his Lord? Why is that brought into the equation? Well, one reason I think it's brought into the equation is that you and I need a Savior. We need a divine Lord And they were thinking that the son of David, the Messiah, was just an earthly figure. Just a political figure. And Jesus is saying that the Psalms and all of Scripture had said all along that this was God coming down. That the Messiah was not just the son of David, but he was much more than the son of David. He is eternal. He is Lord. He is very God of very God. And he has come down to bring life, eternal life, into a world of death. Did you hear what Jesus said? There's this age, and then there's that age. There's the here and now, and then there's the yet to be. 
So what man needed in our sin and our death is we needed someone from above, a divine eternal Savior, to come down into our world to rescue and redeem us and save us and to give us life. Because, see, in this age... Things are quite a mess. And that's why this ridiculous scenario of seven different men with one particular wife, they're bringing up this life kind of stuff. Because this age is not all that that age will be, thankfully, because... The Messiah was not just David's son, he was David's eternal Lord. And let me explain. Conditions in this age are less than ideal at best. Living east of Eden, where we do now, this current age is marked by what? And that's what Jesus says. In this particular age, people marry and are given in marriage. Why? Because in this life, we have needs. In this life, we need fellowship. We need intimacy. We need pleasure. We are lonely. We're empty. We need someone to come alongside us. Marriage is a temporal, earthly arrangement or institution, for lack of a better word, which is for the here and now. And God has given us marriage to help us along the way. To sanctify us. To help us understand love. To help us understand the gospel. To help us know that there are people in this world who will know us just as we are and still love us to the sky. But in this world, things aren't all that they should be. On my way yesterday... To do yet another wedding here at Glenlock for Gavin and Ellie. I'm driving down 27. The radio station plays Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield. <laughs> and here I am going to do this way, you know, going to the chapel, going to get married. Love is a Battlefield. And I say, yep, that's true. Half of all marriages end in what? Divorce. This age is also marked by death. The Bible says that man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. If half of marriages end in divorce, that's first marriages. If half of first marriages, since they brought it up, Sadducees, end in divorce, how many people die? One out of one. In their absurd scenario, they brought up every single one of those guys that married that woman. What happened to them? They died. What was the seventh brother thinking, by the way, right? Good grief. Did he not detect a pattern? All right. Divorce, <clears throat> death, disease. Man, we are all falling apart. We're all wasting away. If you could see my personal prayer requests and the surgeries and the concerns that are coming up over the next month for several of the people we know and love in our church family, clearly something has gone wrong. 
Clearly, we have fallen and we can't get up. Decay. I'm just telling you things that this age is marked by. Death and taxes, divorce, disease, decay. Gavin's mother, Angela, I heard you say in the food pantry this week that I can't wait till I get to heaven. I'll be able to see for miles. Her eyes are fading. She couldn't quite read on the packages what she used to could read and see. I can identify. The day's going to come when I'll be preaching in glasses because I can't read my Bible. Despair. If this is all that there is, what's the point? Shakespeare's Macbeth basically put it, that life is a tale told by an idiot signifying absolutely nothing if there is no resurrection. The Sadducees doctrine of no afterlife, no supernatural, no heaven, no hell, no angels, that is a doctrine that does not age well. And the Sadducees themselves disappear from history after AD 70 and the burning of the temple. Why are you saying all this about this age? Because that's the reality we live in. But here's the good news of the gospel. Here's what God has done. The God who is the God of the living through the Messiah, who is not just David's son, but he's also David's Lord, this promise says that he will put every enemy where? Under his feet. Who are the enemies of God? Satan, sin, death, hell. Christ comes down and he subdues sin and Satan all of God's enemies and opponents, but ultimately the last enemy is what? Death. That's why Giles read, Jesus declared, you don't believe in the resurrection? I am the resurrection. I am the life. And the one who connects to me, the one who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And the one who lives and believes in me shall never die. So Jesus comes down and enters into death, a death we all deserve, and he takes upon himself as our propitiation the very penalty of the wrath of God which brings us death. He takes that upon himself, but on the third day, because he is the resurrection and the life, just as he called forth Lazarus by his word, so too Jesus is raised from the dead and I've got several passages from the Bible which basically tell, tell me and us in the New Testament that if we are united by faith to Christ in his death, that we shall also be united by faith to Christ in his resurrection. Because he lives, we too shall live. We are baptized with him into his death. We are raised with him in his resurrection to glory. Paul puts it like this. 
Let me turn my notes. God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him, and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul said it. I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I'm speaking now to the fact that the power of the resurrection is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is life. He is the resurrection. And if you are united by faith with him in his death, you are also united by faith with him in his resurrection. And that is an essential part of the good news of what God has done for us. Here's the gist. Jesus said it. Who of you is qualified to be resurrected? In fact, let me go back to our text. Man, this jumped out to me. Look at verse 35. Those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead, in that age, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. They can't die anymore. Well, the million-dollar question from this particular text is, how can sinners like you and me be worthy of the resurrection? How can we be worthy of the next age? How can we enter into a place that is so perfect and so wonderful that the very best of this earth, marriage, is not even needed in heaven? How can I be fit for heaven and fit for eternal life and fit to be a son of God. You may as well command a sinner like me to, to fly like Superman. <laughs> but a couple of weeks I did fly like Superman. What in the world are you talking about now? You've lost your mind. Well, go to Six Flags. And if you want an exercise in faith, agree with one of your children to ride the Superman ride. Oh, my. You enter into this seat, and you are completely strapped in safely, which is a good thing. It is an illustration of total surrender, trust, and faith. And then, they, Joe, they drop the floor out from underneath you. And that's when everybody on the ride goes, ah! <laughs> and then you know you're in trouble. Because that mechanism with that ride lifts every passenger up and now you are literally facing down to the ground with nothing supporting you but what you're strapped in. It's Superman the ride. Did you think this was going to be just a seated ride? No. It's like you're flying. 
And then you go over loops and hills and twists and turns, and you're like, what, what is keeping me <laughs> from the force of gravity just, wham, smashing me against the ground? Well, complete and total reliance and trust on the thing that I am now entered into by faith. And what a ride. Am I Superman? Nowhere close. As the songwriter says, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. But the Bible tells us the gospel is so good. And what David's son Christ did, because he's also divine Lord, is he made it possible for people, sinners like you and me, who deserve wrath, we deserve hell, we deserve alienation and death forever. We are dead in our sins and transgressions. He's made it possible for us to live to finally be alive, to have life and life abundantly. Disconnected to God, we die. And we should die. But God is life. And He is eternal life. And Jesus was the, the life of men. He had the light of life. And He comes so that those who by faith enter into Christ are united by God with both His death and His resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life. And if you are united by faith to him, you will, you will soar. I came across a hymn that we sing at Easter by Charles Wesley. And the Wesleys define Christianity like this. The life of God and the souls of men. The life of God and the souls of men. The Sadducees would have said, who needs that? Who wants that? We've got it here and now. Wrong. They didn't know themselves. Wesley says, Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. I'm not going to do that much. But the last verse says this, Christ the Lord is risen today. Soar we now where Christ has led. Hallelujah. Following our exalted head. Hallelujah. Made like him, like him we rise. Hallelujah. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. Hallelujah. There's a proverb that says, Do not tell the one that's doing it that it can't be done. Never tell the one who's doing it that it can't be done. They're telling Jesus the resurrection and the life that there is no resurrection. Nothing was more foolish than that. And that doctrine did not age well. Let me close with this before we have communion. One of my favorite verses is Luke 14, 14, which says, You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's been a running joke with me and Gina Kingston because for many years, Gina Kingston served so faithfully, so sacrificially, so diligently, and we never paid her a red dime. So jokingly, I would say, sometimes wrongly, sometimes rightly, 
Tina, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Well, I called Gina on Thursday because Gina had a surgery on Friday. By the way, she did really well with her surgery, but they were going to put her to sleep. Pretty dangerous surgery. I called Gina, and the first thing I said to her was, Gina, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. She says, don't say that now, preacher. <laughs> I'm not ready to go yet. <laughs> Good grief. Horrible pastor moment. So we laughed about it. But what I want to say about that is that Jesus throughout the Gospels clearly taught the resurrection. And in the church, the practice of the resurrection is on display by those who are willing to sacrifice and give and live knowing that the resurrection is going to be when justice and reward and all that God has promised is finally going to come. This is not our best time here. It is coming later in the resurrection of the righteous. So one thing the early church did as they gathered to talk about sacrifice, to talk about love, to talk about union, to talk about service, guess what they did after the resurrection? They shared together a meal. And the meal memorialized the death of Jesus. How could the early church have continued to celebrate and commemorate and honor the death of Jesus apart from the resurrection, this meal that signified his broken body and his shed blood? Here's what I'm saying. The fact that the church celebrated and still celebrates communion and the Lord's Supper is one of the proofs of the resurrection. Because they gathered with meaning, they gathered with love, they gathered with joy. If Jesus had remained dead, this would never have been a meal continued and commemorated by his first followers, ever. Imagine. Well, we're going to have a meal today to commemorate Christ. Our Savior who he left everything for. And if you're like me, and Jesus had not been raised from the dead, I would have said, I don't have the appetite. I just don't have the appetite to have a meal when the worst thing that ever happened has just happened, the death of our Lord. No, but that's not how they gathered. They gathered in fellowship and hunger and love and joy and repentance because this meal that they celebrated was remembering that God took the very worst thing that had ever happened and transformed it through the resurrection into the very best thing that has ever happened. And that's why the church continues to celebrate this meal because it commemorates not just his death, but his life and his return because he said, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me until I come. Until I come. And then in a new day, we will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb with all of God's eternal saints. So let's do that together. Remembering not just his death, but also his resurrection as we practice that in the church. 
Father, again, thank you for your word, which so clearly from beginning to end speaks of creation and of Christ and of the church and apart from the resurrection, I truly believe that we would not even know or understand creation, that we would not know or understand or have heard of Christ who is the Savior. And there would not be a church, there would not be a church without the doctrine of the resurrection. Thank you that because he lives, we too shall truly finally be alive, not just now, but forevermore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'd like for our deacons to come forward at this time, active or inactive. We're going to serve communion. Uh, Grateful for Joe and Judy as they're going to lead us in worship during this time. And let's thank and give thanks uh, for God in Christ, what he's given us in the broken body and the shed blood of his son who is alive. Hey, before we have communion, Benji, would you lead us in prayer, please?
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they did eat. Now the cup. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And they did drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thanks be to God for his word and his son. Let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation. You come as we sing.
remain standing. I'm going to ask Jerry Prince if he would come and pray for us to close our service. A lot of you know uh, school is either back or coming back soon. So Jerry is a former educator, as many of you know. So we've asked him to lead a prayer this morning for teachers, educators, students, leaders, and all the systems. We've got several systems represented here, and we're grateful for uh, the number of you who are, who are serving and working and representing uh, Christ in, in the various workplaces where you serve. So Jerry's going to pray. I'm going to ask him to specifically mention, and all of you too, the family of Anna Jones, uh, 18-year-old who was killed this weekend and, uh, in Carrollton. And then remember Hunter Huey, who was a Heard County ninth grader who was injured critically in an accident. Uh, he's still hanging on. The word that I got this morning was that he was beginning to breathe on his own. So let's pray for um, Hunter Huey uh, that, he would, that he would continue to improve. Jerry, thank you for closing our service with prayer. Father, we're so grateful and thankful to be able to come to your house today and to worship you. Father, to, uh, to celebrate your, your life and your death and your resurrection. Father, we're grateful for the hope that we have. Father, how can, how can we hope when we face so many difficult tasks in this world, when we face death and, and, and we face serious accidents, Father? And Father, we lift up those who have been hurt. We lift up uh, uh, Hunter Huey. Father, I taught his father in school. I, I, I know them well. and. and God, we just ask that you uh, would be with the doctors who's treating him, be with the family, uh, with the brothers and sisters and the mother and father and grandparents. Father, all involved there, just give them peace and assurance, Father. And Father, we, uh, we're entering a time when our kids are coming back to school. And uh, God, I'm, I'm very thankful that, that you have put people in the school system You've put teachers, you've put leaders, and you've put students who know you and who love you and who are living out their faith every day in the schoolhouses across our country. Father, I, I pray that you would be with them, uh, guide them, lead them, direct them. Uh, Father, help them to, to, to be strong in their witness. Father, we pray for a safe year. We pray for safety of all the kids who are going to be traveling back and forth, all the adults. Father, just be with them, and, and, uh, and we ask that we have a, a very productive school year. And Father, we especially pray for those kids who are marginalized, who come from very difficult situations. And Father, I just pray that, uh, that, that they would find grace and love in the schoolhouse, because they sure do need it. Now go with us, lead, guide, and direct us as we leave this place. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.